Hey everybody, Magnus here. Since it obviously needs to be pointed out, it feels like I should say a few things here. Captain America, the Winter Soldier, earned $259 million at the, at the box office in the United States. All right? Man of Steel earned $291 million at the box office also in the United States. To put it another way, Man of Steel outgrossed Captain America, the Winter Soldier, by a pretty fucking noticeable margin. And this, by the way, in spite of the fact that Man of Steel didn't have an Avengers bump, quote-unquote, like the Winter Soldier did. So... I'm wondering just why the hell anybody would have assumed Captain America 3 would have kicked the fertilizer out of Batman vs. Superman if they'd been released on the same day here in the United States. I mean, most likely, both films would have suffered. But if there was going to be a decisive winner, and if history is any kind of indication, Batman vs. Superman would have wiped the floor with Captain America 3. Any other analysis is based on fear, wishful thinking, or the abject detachment from logic and reason that our geek fraternity is kinda sorta known for. I just don't get it. Hey, your attention, please! This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. What to do? Where's Buddy? To conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and I love, love, freaking love non-fiction comics. But I'm getting ahead of myself. What I should say is that this show is all about comics, movies, and TV shows. I've got a pretty simple schedule for my show when it comes right down to it. I do six episodes about whatever the hell I want, and then I do an episode all about Smallville, and then an episode dedicated to the Paradox Press line of big books. As a matter of fact, I call those episodes The Big Book Report. And as I said before, I love nonfiction comics. See, I happen to think that comics can be anything. Sure, I mean, it can be superheroes and all that. And I, and, and I love superheroes, don't get me wrong, but... Comics can be so much more than just one genre. That's why the line of big books appeals to me so much. I love the idea of nonfiction comics. But I'm not the only one. 
Nope. There's another podcaster out there who loves them just as much as I do. So, joining me as always is Two True Freaks co-host and former Coast to Coast AM correspondent, Chris Honeywell. How you doing, Chris? Howdy. Well, glad you could join in. Uh, glad you could join in. Uh, you know, as always, I just I love doing these shows with you, and it's it's, oh, it's yeah. always a pleasure. So, I've had these big books sitting around on my shelf for years, and I never really thought that they would get any play with with anything podcasting like so i'm really pleased to get to blow the dust off them and go on ridiculous tangents <laughs> yeah I did. and that's what this that, that's what these seventh episodes are all about just whatever tangent first pops in your head dude go for it so but chris isn't alone this time nope for the very first time ever he and i found another participant for this entry in the big book report so I'd like to welcome the other co-host of Two True Freaks and former NASA consultant, Mr. Scott H. Gardner. What's up, Scott? Hello. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Look, before we get too far on this, I just want to thank you both publicly for, you know, joining in, you know, with me for all of this because, uh, number one, I know we're going to have a blast with it, but, you know, number two, I know that you guys are both so busy with, you know, things going on on, uh, on y'all's side. It's just, it's really cool of you to, to join in like this. So thank you very much. Well, the check cleared, so I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, well, and, you know, luckily for me, you know, uh, Chris accepts other forms of compensation. That's also. right. I mean, I'm, I'm more into the barter system. Yeah. <laughs> Who runs Bata Town? <laughs> well, and uh, you know what? Hey, uh, Chris, what book are we talking about tonight? It's, it's, it's the big book of the unexplained. Wait, I, no, it's the big book of porn. I mean, that's why we wanted Scott to join us, remember? Oh, that's what we used oh, to I get him on the show. Book. I totally misunderstood. <laughs> the big book of big boobs. I brought the the Aquaman big little book. Ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> Our bodies, are lives. Well, no, actually, I'm just kidding. No, it is the big book of The Unexplained. This is published in 1997 and written by Doug Minch. The big book of The Unexplained features an... Uh, a, an introduction and narration by the ghostly image of Charles Fort, a deceased writer and researcher in, into, and this is, this is a mouthful, anomalous phenomena. Stories of impossible animals, lost continents, and bizarre phenomena, such as the mummy's curse, living dinosaurs, the Loch Ness monster, Bigfoot, alien abduction, and reigns of frogs. And so, every and time you say day, that, I would just want to go, phenomena, do, 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 do. Phenomena. Do, 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 do. <laughs> to this day, there's still a magazine. The uh, Charles Fort's magazine is still coming out the Fortean Times, and it's the best magazine on the unexplained out there because it's it uses his philosophy, which was, I will take and publish anything that people send me. But he he was he was a hundred percent skeptic too. He was also like. I'm not here, he, you know, he would he would try to parse out whether stuff was true or not, but he would do it after he had compiled it. He was more into, like, you know, getting as much information as possible and then sorting through it. If you ever see, if you ever at the magazine rack at, like, you know, one of the big, you know, um, I, I keep wanting to say Walden books, but I think they're defunct, but like Borders or something like that. There's usually still, you can find 40 in times in the racks. And it's great. It's just article, article, there's articles in it, but a, a good chunk of it is just paragraphs, you know, of things that have been sent in, pictures, 
um, stories, uh, news reports, and it's it's a great book by your toilet, as are these big books. Yeah, I know most of these uh, stories are basically just long enough. They really are the perfect length. That's what she said. But anyway, as far as the subject matter of all of this, you could basically view this stuff, everything that we're probably going to talk about tonight, poaching a hell of a lot of stuff, potential topics from the Freak File. So thanks, guys. Mm -hmm. You've been suckered. (laughs) We could get about 10 years worth of Freak Files into this, uh, at the rate we're going with Freak Files into this episode. So, yeah. I got nothing going on in the next 10 years. Let's go for it. (laughs) Well... Without further ado, basically the uh, technical details as provided by Mike's Amazing World of DC, which you can find at dcindexes.com, I believe is the web address. And I'm, yes, dcindexes.com. Publisher of this, of, of this volume is DC, i.e. Paradox Press. Cover date is the very specific 1997. The on-sale date is April the 23rd, 1997. Cover price is $14.95, which is basically about what comics are, are at these days anyway. Page yeah, count like... is 192. Editor is Jim Higgins. Writer is Doug Mention. The, the artists for this book are really... The list is long, but distinguished as always. Um, now, Chris, did any of, any of the uh, usual suspects or any of the non-usual suspects really stand out to you this time? Or is... I mean, I'm always glad to see... Uh... Um, Sergio Aragonez, but Tom Sutton's in here. Mm-hmm. Some a lot of these people are from undergrounds or 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 indie indie comics, but then there's some uh, Steve Le- Lealojas in here. Um, Re- uh, Rick Geary is always great, but you know another one from the from the underground. Mm-hmm. I think Gahan Wilson even has has one or two in here. And there's even uh, one of them I think that we're going to cover later on even has um a grew the the wanderer um showing up in it not in the sergio aragonas one but he just sort of pops up in another one yeah, sergio aragonas is in the panel below too there's grew snuck into one panel and then the panel below that sergio aragonas, aragonas in is it? stuck in it and yeah, snuck in it uh, uh paul galacy yeah. that's another name yeah. mainstream comics i love paul galacy yeah uh, there's also Brent Anderson, uh, but one of the uh, names that I don't remember seeing this time around is um, Charlie Adler. I don't think he uh, drew anything for this one, so. No, he didn't. You're right. And it's funny because I never pick his stuff out till I look in the table of contents to, you know, to see who who did it. Yeah, he's got he's just got the sort of sort of generic style, but okay. it it just it kind of feels like at the same time. You know, considering The Walking Dead, a lot of this stuff isn't totally outside of what his wheelhouse would become. So right. it's actually kind of surprising that there's just there's nothing. You know, I think he just well, I think it was long ago and long enough ago that he maybe wasn't as good an art, you know, artist as he is now. It's not that the art is bad, but it's not as dis- stylistically distinct from anything else. You know. Right. Um, Joe Sacco, that's another one of my favorite underground. Does does the chupacabra? In this oh one. yeah, yeah yeah. And then the other one that stood out, well the other ones, uh, there's Joe Orlando. And you know, I mean, obviously his reputation precedes him, but then the uh, 
the entry for Graham Manley, it actually looks like it's recycled from... I think this is the Big Book of Conspiracies, was it? Or it's somebody, I forget. But basically it says Graham Manley. Graham is believed to be in hiding from the police somewhere in Scotland. He's wanted for crimes against the comic strip form. So, here we are. <laughs> well, anyway, so what's the uh, first story this time up? Well, I think we were putting up Scott first, because really, what what is this all about? But it's more like, let's corner Scott Gardner and talk ancient <laughs> aliens. <laughs> Well, you know what? You 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 joke about that, and Scott, you laugh about that. That's actually not very far off from the conversation we had about that. So. It's not a bad concept for a podcast at all. I'll say that at all. It's a great concept for a podcast. It's not. It's not like it's going to be like. It's not like we're going to have to beat beat it out of him. <laughs> not at all. It's well, it's just not a topic that comes up very often outside of the freak files which the planets have to be in a certain alignment for those to even happen, so... Well, what's funny is uh, I don't watch a lot of television these days, but one of the shows that I do like to catch when I can is uh, there's actually a show out there called Ancient Aliens. Sure, with Dr. Bill Robinson. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm not even sure what the hell season they're on net. Yeah, they, they've, been, like, they've been going... Season like six 47 or something. Yeah, they've been going a while now. Way and, longer than the information on ancient aliens available is. Right, yeah, I've noticed. Yeah, that last <laughs> was kind of rough. It was kind of rough. But I just watched the the first episode of this latest season, which which just started recently. It started like two or three weeks ago, and I just watched um, the first episode of the latest season, and it was on the reptilians. Mm-hmm. And while I kind of you know just kind of go yeah reptilians whatever it was all right i mean it, it, it seemed like it, it kind of regained a little bit of the lost momentum from you know the tail end of the last season where it was just getting a little bit tail silly and yeah um, <laughs> oh well yeah that was a bad i didn't uh, yeah, that, was, that a, was horrible didn't intend that pun but <laughs> no I'm, I'm the one who made it horrible don't worry it wasn't your fault i you know it's i i, I love the reptilian story because I love the idea that people are trying to make they live be real. <laughs> right. You know, I'm just waiting till someone tries to sell magic sunglasses that you can see the reptilians with. But uh, uh, was David Icke on that show? He must have been, right? Uh, yeah, I think he was, yeah. I mean, he's he's the ground zero for that. I could listen to him talk all day and really not believe much of what he says, but he's fascinating to listen. He's a good stream of thoughter. See, I think that sums up my thoughts on all of this stuff involved with the unexplained, you know, that's covered in this book. Because I I have been fascinated (laughs) by this subject literally all my life. And, And not just the ancient aliens, but pretty much anything that's covered in here with a couple of exceptions. Because I can remember as kids when we would go like to the like to the school library or the public library, mm-hmm. the the sections that always fascinated me the most were the sections with like this fringe stuff. And I can remember our school, like the middle school library that that you and I went to, I can remember that they had those big, thick, I don't know if they were time life or what they were, but they were the books that, you know, there'd be one on ghosts and there'd be one on UFOs and there'd be one on just, you know, I, I, our weird paranormal phenomena. library at the middle school 
and the elementary school actually to to some degree was pretty they were pretty stocked both of them, i think they know what kids like to read you know mm-hmm. or, or certain kinds of kids you know and and that stuff's like catnip to guy, to guys like you and me i think mm-hmm. absolutely but to to try to bring it back more on on point of all the different things that would be covered you know in something like that and especially in this book the ancient aliens one is probably the one that does fascinate me the most because it's the one that if you if you have an open mind with the subject i think that there is a lot of compelling arguments to be made for it i i think it's it's plausible in that uh wouldn't it be fun if this were true kind of way if you know what i mean mm-hmm. so well it's one of those things you know how you know how there's always debate with scientists and scientists will be like well we need you can find a good amount of scientists you, you know that don't say oh well we came from ancient aliens but they'll say it's 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 a possibility it's right i mean you could make up a million possibilities but they'll say <clears throat> you know there's enough missing information in our knowledge of history and genetics and and life in general that they could say yeah that that could that is a possibility that is that is definitely a you know i mean they there's scientists who say that panspermia is a possibility where some form of you know life form in a maybe in a simple way literally came on uh, a meteor or something that crashed you know and then and settled in and that's how it goes right so so it's it's not something that you can just take the legs out of right away you know right. it's not something you can just say oh duh, game over done or, or or like von daniken i think von daniken and zacharias sitchens i think i think they're charlatans i think they're trying to make their their money makers but i don't think that negates the idea it negates certain pieces of things that they've contributed but it doesn't you can't go well that's it you know that's the end of that topic these guys are inaccurate you know although as we were talking earlier it doesn't help <laughs> it doesn't well, see, help well, the, and, that, and, that, and that actually leads into knowledge. something else though you know uh, one of the things that i've noticed like religious people tend to get picked on because of you know they, they tend to have very dogmatic ideas about uh, the origins of life you know and 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 you know that's fine I'm you know this isn't to you know change the subject and you know make it all about religion I'm just drawing a parallel that you know what I find is that a lot of people who claim to be uh, scientists and very f- into the scientific process are no less dogmatic in their points of view and whenever they come across things that really do call into question their theories they're no i mean they are just as prone to they're human uh, like everybody else oh absolutely every weakness that any other human the the only the, the thing the only thing that scientists have going over um i don't want to say religion or or say people who are like parapsychologists or stuff like that the only thing that science has against that is there's the, the whole thing, like if one person says something, there's a 10,000 scientists piling on it, trying to trying to find out. So there's like an amount of 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 peer review. But the See, problem no, I, is I don't once they get that. all aligned, See, I'm going to argue. I'm going to argue that 
once they get all aligned, I, I, I don't you can't get that. them apart. That's the I thing. Think, once you I get... think this book illustrates beautifully just the counter that there's a lot of stuff out there that should be being looked into by right. science and that they purposely, for whatever reason, they, they ignore turn a blind it, eye to. Right. Because and, then ends, and then it ends up getting, re- quote unquote, researched by yahoos, you know, people right. who either believe it 100 percent going in or are just like trying to make a buck off it or are just completely ignorant of history or whatever. Or just right. are, they're, they're just ill-equipped. They're, I'm sorry, you don't have the brains to be doing what you're doing. I'm yeah. sorry, this is not your fucking job, dude. There's a there's a beautiful Nova episode from the 80s, and then there's somebody who's hashed together um, just archaeological information, like, you know, the, the famous, famous Mayan uh, guy in a spaceship, you know, and he's in the spaceship and he's sort of sitting in the seat and stuff and they're like, look, you, and there's flames coming out the bottom. Well, you can get archaeologists who've, you know, they've, they've figured out what every piece of that, every, every piece of that picture is a symbolic element used in Mayan art, repeated all over the place. Mm-hmm. And put together, it kind of looks like a rocket ship to our eyes. But, you know, Von Daniken went in there and goes, ah, look, it's a rocket ship, you know. And because he didn't know anything about Mayan, to, you know, he, obviously he should have done his research, but I don't know if he really wanted to. And, you know, because he, you know, he became a millionaire on that. And, and, and that and then that makes people not want to. And, and once those guys start getting their hands on it, scientists don't want to get their hands on it because these guys have put a stank on it. They've, right. they've put a. You know, this is something that crazies and loonies are interested in. And, uh, but, you know, every once in a while you get a scientist who retires, you know, from his job at Chemcore and has a big bank full of money and is like, I'm going to go look for the Loch Ness Monster and stuff like that. So, you know, the thing about any of these now, things Do you is, agree with the conspiracy theory, though, that a lot of this stuff is being actively suppressed by depends, someone? It, it, it depends. You know, I have to, like... The thing about suppressing knowledge like this is there's certain things that I would think would get suppressed because whether they would have an effect of, you know, freaking out the populace and causing widespread chaos or not, they could. Right. But then there's other stuff, like Bigfoot, where why would you cover up if, if, if you had evidence? No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not lumping everything in this book on right, that right. subject. There's, but, you know, if, if you're talking about... If it's something... Um, like, for example, if it's like giant UFOs on the moon floating over the astronauts, I could 100% see the government not showing us that film. <laughs> yes. You know, 100%. I, I, I would be so utter. I would be so utterly shocked if they did reel that film out on TV that I would think that was fake. You know what I mean? Right. I would. I, 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 I don't know of any major government. You know, any large government that would not sit on something like that because, for. A, the, the good reasons, like it might freak out things with the populace, it might screw up things in world politics, and the bad reasons of where it's like, oh, this might be some leverage in some way by having this. But either way, those are both 
you know, reasons governments do things. So, I mean, something like that, it's just 100 percent that that they're not going to tell us, you know, that the only way we're going to find out is kicking and screaming, you know, drag out the information, kicking and screaming or a UFO lands in the White House lawn or something like that, you know. Right. Or somebody somebody somehow gets in the right room with the right file cabinet by luck and even then, you know, you can still discredit anything or or whatever. But yeah, I would if I was a government, if I was the president, I would think long and hard about what it is. The, the thing about anything that's secret is you never know. You never know what it is. Well, see, I think it goes larger than that. For one thing, I don't think that there's been a president in the loop for quite a long time, depending on the subject that you're talking about. (laughs) But what I'm talking about is I think it goes much larger than that. I don't think it's necessarily even governments at this point. I think it's the real people that are pulling the strings behind the scenes. And one of the big ones, I think, when you're talking about not so much about the UFO angle, but I'm talking about, you know, one of the chapters I know that we wanted to discuss in this was ancient man. I myself am a pretty firm subscriber to the idea, or at least I find a lot of validity in the idea, that there are lost epochs of man. That man probably, at some point in the vast history of the Earth, achieved a level of technology pretty damn close, or maybe even surpassing the level that we're at right now. I think that there's a lot of evidence for this that has come to light, you know, just in the past couple of hundred years. And so I'm kind of fascinated by that idea. And the chapter in this book that discusses that, one of the things that's brought up is the UPAs, which is uh, an acronym for out-of-place artifacts. Now, over time, there have been a lot of -of out-of-place artifacts that have been found. Everything from ancient computers to ancient batteries to... Uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. Some of these things, looking thing. Yeah, some of these things have been equated to, you know, finding like a like a jumbo jetliner on the moon. You know, something that's just completely out of place in both space and time. You, you just look at it and go, how the hell could this exist? You know, thousands, sometimes millions of years prior to when they should exist. You know, it mentions in here a metal tube that was found inside of. Uh, of a chalk bed in France that dates back 65 million years. Who the hell made that? Where, where does that come from? So well, if there was a civilization on Earth 65 million years ago, there would be, really be nothing left of it. Exactly. You know, it would literally that, probably point. be ground down into the core of the Earth by now. You know, everything, you know. You know, and it talks in here about, you know, the pyramids being more more than likely much older, older than, than what we have been told that they and the are. And the Sphinx because, being even significantly older than them, too. Right. And I, I'm fascinated by these kinds of things because it talks about water erosion uh, on the pyramids where, you know, there hasn't been water in that area, right. you know, of the type that would cause that type of erosion for some, what does it say, 12,500 years ago, yeah. which you know predates the time that the Egyptians were supposed to have built the pyramids, which, by the way, the book also talks about the fact that the Egyptians never have claimed to have built the pyramids in the first place. Right. They said that this stuff was all given to them by you know a culture that predates them. So I'm fascinated well, with, with that, both that's... this idea of these lost uh, epochs of man, but also with the idea 
that's not touched on heavily in this, but it's it's hinted at here or there that there's a there's a very good reason why science isn't looking into this stuff, and it's basically because they're not being allowed to, or they're being told not to. And you have to wonder. I you see, I don't why. think it's I don't think it's over as overt as they're told not to, but there, there's a climate made where if they do, it's not going to go good for them. You know, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. There, nobody ever comes out and says, "Don't talk about this," but they know what. Oh, what but I think that they just, do. Because I, I don't you think, they think have of it this to. way. I think they just have to set. I just think they have to set it up that way. They don't have to overtly. Because if you say, "Don't talk about this," that's putting a big red flag on it. But if you just do it where it's sort of tacitly known that if. If you start really going in the right UFO directions, yeah, you're not, you know, your radio station might be like, ah, sorry. No, you're right. But again, you're talking about governments stepping in. I'll tell you one of the big ones that I think has been suppressed. I think one of the big ones that has been suppressing, like the archaeological stuff for a long, long time, when you're talking about these lost civilizations and prehistory and things like that. I, I think that more than likely the Roman Catholic Church has had a lot of hand in that over time because it would go counter to the teachings and the things that they've set down all this time. I've come to believe, and my mother would kill me for ever even suggesting such a thing, but I've come to believe over time that a lot of religion coming from... Uh, you know, from uh, especially from Catholicism, is all about control of the masses, and so they're very tight with the information that they're releasing. And I personally believe that they know a hell of a, a lot more about our prehistory than they've let come to light. I mean, just the fact that there are lost books of the Bible that have come to light that they have actively suppressed says a lot about things that they know that they don't want everybody else to know. Well, I think there, with any major religion, there's kind of two ways. There, there's a million ways you can go with either of them. There, you can go like wishy-washy and, and go because you like to go to church, or you could get into the dogmatic aspect of it. But there's sort of like, I think there's sort of, with all the churches, there's like the church for the masses, and then there's a the mystical aspect of it. Right. And they all have their mystical you know, sections of it, you know, I mean, like the Jewish religion, they have the, the guys who sit all day in a room just reading the Torah, like out loud in a monotone, you know, to almost a trance out and stuff. And they're approaching it from a totally different. And I almost look at those as every church is sort of two churches. There's the general church, which is like, live your life good. And these are, you know, don't screw your neighbor. And then there's the mystical end where it's like, get in contact with God, you know, and, and it's all, and the mystical part is not for ever is for a small portion of people who are like going to dedicate their life to sitting in a room chanting and, and taking vows of silence, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, the Catholic church, could if if it was suppressing knowledge i would think it would be knowledge that they gained somehow that they have rather right. than like something outside of it but then i always found it mysterious that they've got their own you know telescope <laughs> you know right super and their own archives telescope. and yeah but 
Well, when I dropped out of the uh, conversation just a minute ago, uh, we were talking about out-of-place artifacts. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that I – and I and look, what I'm doing is all I want to do is just kind of throw this theory out there, not to say that I believe it myself because fucked mm-hmm. if I know what the answer to this is. But the um, one of the things about out-of-place artifacts I, – I think I made a joke uh, to Chris about this in some episode or another, but – you know, basically the joke that I made was, well, you know, wouldn't it be great if you had the ability to travel through time and just kind of fuck with modern day uh, archaeologists? Mm-hmm. Like you go back in time and you leave an iPod behind specifically so that it'll be found, uh, you know, thousands of years from now. Right. Well, considering, the, you know, that we're already kind of in hairy uh, territory to begin with in terms of, you know, out of place artifacts and everything that implies, I don't really see how, t- you know, Basically, uh, a time-traveling troll is somehow, you know, off the table here. I mean, what do you guys think? Uh, if I got a time-traveling machine, I'd be trolling my ass off. I'd be leaving all kinds of hints. I would hope so, but then again, I would hope a time-traveling troll would be more... So, you know, I mean, I would take, like, a hubcap that said VW on it, you know? Oh, Really? But then again, if they found if they if they cracked open a rock and found an iPod, this is this is where it would lose this is where it would lose its momentum, I think, is I think the scientists would immediately go, well, I mean, it's impossible. This is an iPod. (laughs) You know, it says iPod on it. There's just no way that this was left back in time because iPods didn't exist in time. So they would immediately take the tack of like. How can we figure out how this got in this rock? You know, did somebody put it in it? They, they would be spending all the time trying to figure out how whoever it was who found that iPod faked it <laughs> or could have possibly faked it and gone with that as an end. And that's the Sherlock Holmes thing is, you know, whatever is the most plausible and realistic is probably what happened. But. You know, you got the word probably in there because sometimes the most simple, plausible answer to something isn't the answer to it. You know, sometimes it's it's insanely complex. So I think if they found an iPod, I, I, I don't know, maybe it might be more likely that people would want to research a, um, a spark plug. The thing about the spark plug is it's not as much as like it's a modern spark plug, but it's like a modern spark plug. Right. You know, it's more the implication that people back then knew how to make a spark plug and knew the ideas of it, which says, what were they using that spark plug for? It's for some sort of, you know, combustion engine or combustion. So that's that's pretty insane on its own. And that's the thing about any of this stuff is it generally just leads to this whole, you know, branching out ribbon of of questions uh, you know it just makes more questions faster than you could answer any of them all right fair enough well that's kind of what i like about this book is the fact that uh you know, it used to really bother me when when I was younger, you know, and you'd go to the bookstore looking for something on, you know, any of the subjects that were in this book. And, you know, say you were looking for a book on, you know, UFOs. 
and you would find it in a section and you know years ago it used to be the occult section mm-hmm. and the occult section could be anything so you could find books on you know bigfoot or you Lock know crop monster, circles or, or the Loch Ness monster or witchcraft yeah all that stuff and then these days you know not that there's many bookstores left but you know these days you know they've changed it now it's new age Oh, so shit. now you've got all that hippie yeah. bullshit in there, you know, and if and if you're trying to look for some serious book on one of these subjects, you've got to wade through all this, you know, touchy feely crap to get to those away. books. Yeah. But yeah and so it all like... gets kind of lumped into it's all just bullshit. And here's the section for it. And so it's weird that. I actually like with this book that there are definitely topics touched on in here that I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. Because the whole right. crop circle thing for me is still just one of those ones I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. But there's other subjects, you know, like the ancient man one that I'm like, yeah, you know, I kind of get behind that. Crop but what cir- I like really is circles when, you, when you put all this all together, I like the idea that... You know, I like the label. It's the unexplained. So that even if you don't necessarily subscribe to one, taken as a whole, it presents a lot of evidence just for the – or not evidence so much, but a, a big argument for the fact of, look, there is shit out there that we don't know about. A lot. You know? Yeah, and I like that. that Infinitely you know, more than we know about. Yeah, and I like that. I, I like oh. that. Here you go. Here's a – here's as it says, a big book of – you know, there's got to be something to at least one of these subjects. That's, there's just very, too much stuff that's a big old fat mystery to us. It's very Fortean, the the approach of this book. And another thing I want to mention about this particular big book is um, the other ones, most of the other ones, ah, the stories are usually one-pagers mm-hmm. or two or two-pagers. This one, some of the stories are like five, six, seven pages long. And they really go into a, a lot more of the shadings of the stories than I would than I really expected them to. It wasn't as much new information, but they covered some stuff that I didn't think they would bother to throw in because it's a comic and they were trying to make a short, you know, Reader's Digest version of this particular topic. But they throw some good, they throw good back and forth on on stuff in here way more than they have really any any business doing and i like that because it, it deserves it the the material deserves it and like you i don't know if you said it during the show or before the show but as you were reading this scott you were you kept having to stop and like search somebody's name or look something up Oh, yeah, constantly. I, I did yeah. that with the story. There was a story of it was just a uh, like a bunch of one panel one and dones. And it was like, you know, this weird it looked like a missile with a screw around it washed up on shore in Great Britain, you know, and nobody knew, you know, it just nobody knew what its function was, where it came from. No country claimed it. And it was just a weird thing, you know. And I and I immediately went to the internet trying to find the picture because it looked like the drawing was based on an old picture. Couldn't find it anywhere. But I really wanted to see that picture. Well, one of the ones that I looked up was uh, I, I love the chapter here. Let's see what's the name of this chapter. It's 
Hang on, I'm trying to get it to flip back. Oh, it's the very first one in Chapter 2 on the Close Encounters. There's the one that's called Classified Quotes. I really liked this one. And there's a quote here. uh, It's quoting... It says, Memo to National Security Council from General Walter Bedell Smith, Director of the CIA from 1950 to 1953. And the quote is, It is my view that the UFO situation has possible national uh, national security implications which transcend the interests of of a single service. And I really liked that, but I was thinking that his name was tickling the back of my mind. And I had to look him up. Because I, I thought I knew who he was, but I wasn't exactly sure I had my guy. And it turned out I was right. He's actually second generation Majestic 12. So I thought it was really weird that he would give this. Um, well, then again, it is to the National Security Council, so it's probably never meant for public consumption. Right. But it's just very strange that he would take that stance you know, to you know, in a in a memo to this council that essentially tips his hand to how he felt about it, but then at the same time sit on the council of Majestic Twelve. That just seemed really strange to me. It, it almost seems like a conflict of interest because most ah, of the Majestic well, guys, I thought, <laughs> kept it all in the down low. Well, when you get into the murky depths of government, you don't know who's a agent, double agent, who's Ooh, working very for true, who, yeah. who's working for their own methods. So it's, you know, you know, he could be working both sides, you know, for so he could be working one side and working the other undercover. He could be working both of them. But yeah. Right. That's something I was actually surprised, at at least so far. Like I I, I was telling uh, Trennis before we got started. Unfortunately, I I have not finished the book, but I've been blowing through it. I'm fascinated by it. I'm really enjoying it. But I did not get a chance to read it all the way through. But so far, I'm about halfway through the book, and so far, there's I don't think there's been a, a mention of Majestic, and I'm wondering if that is coming at some point, because that's something I would think that this would touch on. But then again, maybe not. I mean, because that, that's not so much an unexplained, that's, that falls more into the realm of, you know, conspiracy, I guess, conspiracy right. theory, because it's not a, exactly a proven thing. It's just a thing that a lot of people conspiracy believe. Conspiracy theory kind yeah, of follows it. Yeah falls I, into unexplained conspiracy theories exist because of the unexplained yeah, this is true yes i could be wrong but i thought there was uh, somebody at some point found smoking gun evidence that said no majestic 12 was all too real i thought that happened it would have happened sometime after this book's publication i, I reserve the right to be wrong but i swear to think it's actually a fairly recent occurrence it was like i i seem to remember that also possibly yeah, that's 2005 or something wasn't it or yeah, that's very possible. Um, I, I will profess I haven't kept up as up on a lot of these subjects as uh, as I would like to. Well, I'm but pretty Majestic sure. Majestic Twelve is one of those that, regardless of if it, if it has come to light or not, w- w- that's one of those ones that for me, I've always subscribed to. Well, it's that like I always I, I think it like just, Area Fifty One. Yeah, it, it just makes too much sense that that there you know that somewhere it had to have been established that look there there has to be ground rules for some of these things and majestic directly spun out of uh well, you know, roswell in, incidents like roswell to both contain uh you know anything that they found but also contain the the dissemination of information and yes like you said eventually creating disinformation you know, I, I find that when it comes to to a lot of these things, 
uh, and and I'll keep it focused for now on on the UFO angle of it. I, I think that an extraordinary job has been done because the uh, you know the the point of view character that we get in this is is Fort or Forte, however you pronounce his name. And he even makes a, a statement in one of the chapters of, you know, if there's anything to all this, then why the hell don't we know about it? And then he addresses that by saying, well, we've tried. People have tried right. to be whistleblowers over time. And the problem is, is that whoever's behind all this stuff, whoever's keeping the lid on this, has actually done an extraordinary job of basically – you know, there's that that famous saying of you know the the greatest feat the devil ever pulled ever pulled off was making people believe he didn't exist. It's the same type of thing with this. The greatest feat that Magic Twelve and and some of these other organizations ever pulled off is making everybody believe that ah, the UFO thing's a bunch of hooey. There's nothing to it. And I think if you spend even just a day looking into the subject. You can't I, I can't find where a reasonable person will walk away thinking, well, th- there's nothing to this at all. There's a great chapter in here. And damn, I hope I can find it in a hurry because I, I thought it was a, it was made an excellent point. Oh, here it is. OK, so it's during the chapter on the. Um, uh, what do you call it? The bent waters. Um, Shit, I can't think of the name of it. The one, the one that was in, um, in Eng- at the air base over in England. I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. I've just yeah. lost the name of it. But it was a famous UFO sighting at, at actually essentially at a military base. Uh, it was a U.S. It was a U.S. base on uh, U.K. soil. I cannot think of the name of this place. I've completely lost the name of it. Waters uh, and Reality. It's, it's like Rendlesham. Yeah, Rendlesham oh. Forest. The Rendlesham Forest uh, sighting. Yeah. And it talks all about that. And then toward the end of it, when it's kind of drawing its conclusions, it says official reaction to the Bentwaters Woodbridge event amounted to the standard no threat to national uh, defense position. Utter nonsense, as both Noise and Jenny Randalls pointed out. If the collective testimony is accurate, thereby confirming UFO reality. And it shows this scene of like UFOs attacking and blowing shit up, right? And then it says, an equal nonsense if the testimony is false, thereby entrusting NATO security to the whims of hallucinating madmen. So basically what it's saying is... Damned if you do, damned if you damned don't. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Nothing. But it's ridiculous yeah. to, to say, well, it's no threat to national security. Well, if there's nothing to it, then you've got a bunch of lunatics that are hallucinating UFOs that are protecting your base. So obviously, yes, there is a threat to your national defense. It's just ludicrous to, to even say that. And... That's what a lot of these incidents comes down to. Whether you believe or whether you don't is almost inconsequential. Some shit is happening Mm -hmm. in the skies around our planet, and we're being told, eh, don't worry about it. It doesn't affect you at all. Well, okay, but can you maybe tell me what it is? And so then they switch tactics, and then it becomes, you know, your standard, you know, it's swamp gas, it's weather balloons, and even that is completely ludicrous. Some of the people that have been advancing these things about, you know, it being weather balloons or some such are supposed to be the top minds in these fields. The, the you know, the, the people that are entrusted with, this, you know, our safety, our this, security. This, and this is what I ridiculous. think about, about that. I think the, 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 like if the, the, the mindset of the, the people in the military and the government and stuff is such as, 
it you know they could know everything or they could know absolutely nothing and you would almost get the same reaction out of them because if they know absolutely nothing they might want to just pretend that they know something but they can't go well we can't say we know something so we'll pretend we're covering something up because we know nothing and we don't want to say that we know nothing but we want to make people and maybe the russians will think we're in good with the ufos or we have their technology because we got one at roswell so if they're if they know absolutely nothing i think they would still just shovel out the same kind of bullshit either way so it's almost impossible that that's what I love and hate about conspiracy theories and the, the unexplained is by necessity, you don't have enough information. And right. even even in politics, the way any, any high level politician acts, you don't know. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. So we don't have enough information to fully ever know what the hell's going on. And this stuff is even more. Right. Out, it's it's up in, almost entirely up in the air. Literally. Yeah, yeah. Well, now is probably a good time, too, to point out that, you know, sometimes the people that are doing the investigation of these things can make, you know, they can be presenting a really solid case. They can be bringing up some really interesting and salient points, and then they go and completely shoot themselves in the foot by not doing all the research and all the right. homework. Because one of the, right. the chapters in here conclusions. that I simultaneously loved and hated at the same time sure was the chapter in here called The Astronauts and the Aliens. And this is specifically about the Apollo-era astronauts and what they may or may not have actually seen or known in regards to their missions and things that they encountered along the way. And one of the ones that it dredges up in here is the same old tired thing that I've heard a million times by a million different ufologists, and it comes down to sloppy homework. So it's talking about when during Apollo 8. Now, Apollo 8 was the mission back in 1968 that uh, Jim Lovell and – shit, I've completely forgotten the other guys. Anyway, it was three astronauts. It was an Apollo mission. They circumnavigated the moon. They didn't land on the moon, but this was the first time that, that human beings had gone to the moon. And they, they uh, you know, they did an orbit and then they came back. And this was all in December of 68. So on Christmas Day of 68, uh, Apollo uh, 8 is in orbit around the moon. Now, there was a lot of fear from, you know, both people that were part of the project, but especially uh, I, I know one of the 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 big ones that had a lot of trepidation about this was Jim Lovell's wife back on earth. Right. There was a lot of fear that if something went wrong, if they were not able to fire their rocket from orbit, uh, when they were in orbit around the moon, they were never coming home. They'd They'd be locked in orbit around the moon forever. And there was a lot of trepidation about, you know, understandably that this would ruin the moon forever. And, you know, all anybody would ever be able to do whenever they would look up into the the night sky is all they would think about is those poor dead astronauts up there. And so there was a lot of fear about this. Now, this maneuver had to be pulled off from the dark side of the moon. So in essence, when Apollo 8 would go around the back side, at some point during that trip across the dark side of the moon, 
it would fire the engines, and then it would come slingshotting around for the return to Earth. There was not going to be any way to know this until they knew it. So during the time when Apollo missions would be on the other side of the moon from us, it was radio blockout because you've literally got the moon between us and them. So you don't, you, there's no communication during right. that time, and that period lasted for several minutes. So they get the okay from NASA that you know your your go for whatever you know firing the engines trans earth injection i think they called it something like that mm-hmm. and so they go behind they've got the okay that whenever you think you're ready on the dark side fire up the engines and when you come around we're going to know one way or the other whether whether you're go or whether you're you're doomed and they're waiting for this and waiting for this and waiting for this and there's all this suspense and they come around from the dark side of the moon and Jim Lovell says, Houston, um, now the book here quotes him as saying, we've just been told Santa Claus exists. Now, I've actually heard the recording, and what he says in the recording is, uh, Houston, be advised, there is a Santa Claus. So many ufologists have latched onto this as some sort of weird confirmation that he, yeah, a coded message that he's confirming uh, I've heard everything from, you know, there's a, we're seeing a UFO, there's a UFO here with us, there is actually something down on the surface of the moon, all this stuff. Now, I'm not saying I don't believe of any of that. I, 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 I mean, this entire chapter is rife with astronaut stories about weird phenomena on the moon, everything from being followed there by UFOs to actually encountering UFOs when they got there to there being weird tracks, you know, all this other shit. I'm not saying I'm discounting all that. I'm just saying in this particular instance, they're not doing any of their arguments any good by not doing their homework. Because in this particular instance, all Lovell is talking about was, thank Jesus, the rocket fired and we're on our way home. That's and all he said. It was a little too. Yeah, it was, it was Christmas and it was a little joke. There is a Santa Claus because he brought me my gift, which is I get to go home and I live, get to be alive. Know? Yes. Yeah. So that's all there is to that. So. Well, and there's also a logical answer to that, too, outside of what you just said. Suppose that um, – well, I, well, actually, I say suppose. We don't have to suppose. He really did say this. Why would he give a, a coded message that anyone has access to to confirm exactly. the uh, the existence of, uh, of UFOs when he's going to be debriefed the moment he lands anyway? Yes. What, you think that's not going to come up? Oh, by the way, guys, I I, I forgot to mention this earlier. I know I'm going out the door now. It's just I'm feeling kind of peckish. But, hey, we got some uh, some aliens up there. See you after lunch. Right. Come, come on, people. You know, I, I, are you really going to risk, you know, something as sensitive as that, even in a coded message form, getting out there? I well, wouldn't. Plus, there's no need for them to do coded messages because they had they could other audio the, feeds. Yeah. Exactly. That were not for public consumption. So they were in constant communication with Earth, and there's a lot of things that were said on these missions that we're never going to be privy to because they were not on, uh, you know, the the public, you know, so to speak, the public channel. Oh. At any point, they can switch back and forth between those, and they did a lot. Plus, they had a message dump that was on a time delay. So, you know, if they wanted to send a message that they didn't want either. Uh, on the public one or the other one for any sort of public consumption, they could put it in the message dump and it would be picked up. Now, there was a significant delay there, but there was actually someone who was tasked at NASA to listen to this stuff. And right, so they that could I didn't put, know. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, 
like I say, a little bit of homework on this stuff would really lend a lot more credibility, especially to some of the wilder well, uh, stories, like some of the ones that are in here. Now, this one that's in here about uh, uh, Armstrong and uh, Aldrin stepping out on the moon and being greeted by enormous UFOs, I've never heard this one before, and I have consumed this shit all my life. So this one was really kind of mind-blowing to me. I gotta admit, I think it's kind of like, I yeah. don't that's think what I so but yeah but it's interesting i mean it's certainly it's it's if nothing else i find this stuff a fun read and it's a it's a fun exercise in both what if and yeah maybe there's something because every once in a while with something like this you get one that's like ooh, there maybe there's something to that you know especially the ones that are truly just unexplained especially the ones Again, going back to like the ancient man one where you have something physical, you know, you have a dinosaur footprint and a man's footprint right next to it, you know, both obviously coming from from the same strata, from the same era, something that just should not exist. That one's been debunked. There it is. That that one has. Yeah, that one's been debunked pretty good. But just recently. What was the deal with that? It. It was the 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 dinosaur footprint was a real dinosaur footprint. The the footprint of a man was basically uh, a, a artifact of the kind of rock that it was, because everywhere where the footprint was was this softer kind of rock that eroded away, and they were showing pictures of other ones that sort of looked like footprints. And others that were more like round things. But basically, yeah, I'll, I'll have to look that one up. But I remember seeing that and going like, oh, they just crushed <laughs> whatever whatever that scientist did. He, he, he crushed that one. Well, but, there was one in here talking about, and I remember reading this as a kid, about the bullet hole through the Neanderthal man's yeah. skull. And the I exit thought that I've, behind yeah, it. Yeah, and I thought, hasn't there also been uh, dinosaur skulls that have been found with something that looked like it might have been made like a like a laser or a bullet or something like that? Or a spear or something like that. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure. I, I sort of remember something like that. But the bullet, the bullet hole through the Neanderthal, I've, read, I've seen that one for yeah. years. I'm wondering if this book, in later chapters, you guys can can confirm whether this is so. I'm wondering if it talks at all about one that I think has been relatively recent in this whole, like, unexplained, you know, and this one, again, might fall more into the realm of, like, like almost like a conspiracy theory type of thing. But, uh, yeah, I know that in recent times the the idea has been advanced that – Everything that we know about the the end of the dinosaurs might not be true in the sense that is it possible that ancient man hunted the dinosaurs to extinction? And I kind of like that idea. I am you know again I don't know if there's anything to it, but I think uh, it's definitely an interesting idea. I don't know. It doesn't. <laughs> well, it, is it it is interesting to think about though. I'll uh, I'll give you that, but uh, kind of yeah, go like backwards Commandy. a little. What? It would be like Commandy, last boy on Earth. 
right? Oh, yeah. Well, well you know, I mean, if, if some of these artifacts they're talking about do bear out that man goes back a hell of a well, lot that's a, longer. That's, that's the thing. That's the thing is, is it's, is, is I, you see, I go, ah, I don't know. But then, then again, I'm thinking of sort of the current run of man, you know, and you've got your Atlantis and Lemuria's and, and stuff like that, which I also take with a grain of salt. But at the same time, there does seem to be they fi- they're finding all kinds of stuff that right generally you know and and not only theoretically but you know carbon datingly will right. time out to be way older than they re- than they should be. They're finding, I mean, just recently I'm and when I say recently in the last ten or fifteen years, they've been finding you know pyramids in i think like down south like tennessee right you know in in wooded areas that were that are like very much like the mayan ones i'm with you i'm with you on the whole thing about say atlantis and lumeria i think it's fun to think about i don't know how much i buy into it but the thing that that is compelling with those that you know the really interesting part of those stories is that you know so many people want to point to, and I think it's Plato that wrote about Atlantis and go, well, maybe he was just fun in us. Okay, I'll give you that. But nearly every ancient culture, every ancient religion, well, everything talks about the same type of thing, that, that there have been lost epochs of man, that, that right. there was a, a prior civilization that... You know, and, and, and they and all Atlantis, give a different reason. Maybe they, you know, they, they, you know, they offended God or whatever the case may be, and they were wiped they back to themselves. A, a, yeah, yeah, and and there's some of these uh, civilizations say that this has not just happened. Like the Bible essentially says it happened once. You know, there was the the civilization before Noah. God comes in, floods the world, Noah repopulates. But some of these ancient religions and these ancient cultures say that this is not an isolated incident, that this has happened time and time and time again, that there's been several of these that have happened. So you're talking about us possibly going back, you know, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of years, way past the point where, where science tells us that the first man, you know, stood upright. And I think there's something to that. It, when I start trying to wrap my mind around Atlantis and Lemuria as like a reality, the only way I can do it is I think of them as, as I mean, the thing about ancient civilizations getting wiped out, you get wiped out, you get wiped out. So I think of those as sort of being the catch-all for the civilizations that came before us. And, and you know, and and when I say they got wiped out, maybe not a hundred percent of everybody got wiped out, but basically right. civilization got wiped said. out. That's so the exactly stories, what the Egyptians so the stories, said. yeah. So the stories are held. I mean, humans are storytelling machines, and in the and, days and before recorded anything. So right. basically, and over the course of you know thousands of years, it just all gets thrown into Atlantis and Lemuria, and that becomes the easy shorthand. Right. Or, and that's know. what these these fringe I don't I'm not sure what you're supposed to call them the non-mainstream scientists the ones that buy into this stuff that's what they've been telling us for a long time in regards to you know why do the South American pyramids you know why are they so close to the Egyptian pyramids you know civilizations that are separated by you know hundreds of thousands of miles well and, and they're all astronomically and oceans and, 
Yeah, and all the math, how it all works out, you know, how could this possibly be? And those civilizations themselves said this information was given to them by the remnants of prior civilizations. And a lot of people have speculated that they were talking about the Atlanteans. So if if some if, if Atlantis right. or something like it truly existed and then one day was gone, of course their civilization's gonna have to, you know, scatter about the earth yeah. and and you know do whatever they do. So it's well, possible that they found new civilizations to kind of latch on to and try to, you know, bring them up to their level, essentially. The, I mean, the big thing modern day with Atlantis that brought Atlantis into people's minds and this we get it back into New Age bullshit is Edgar Casey was uh, yeah. the or an original, not an original, but he would do he, you know, he was. He would he would talk to spirits of the blah blah blah, blah or a, a channeler or whatever. So Edgar Casey would do stuff like lay out exactly, you know, Atlantis had two giant pyramids made of crystals that generated energy, and they had flying machines and blah blah blah. And it's it was a whole you know they got they they exceeded the power of human you know their their power was too much for human nature, and they destroyed themselves that way. And he he laid down this uh, like framework for a story, and that's been the modern. Right. When, when I used to dig crystals, and I used to deal with all sorts of new age people of all different, you know, levels and flavors, and um, but they all had a pretty aligned, you know, this is what happened with Atlantis. You know, to them it was history in stone accepted you know atlantis existed from this time to this time this is what they did there this is what they looked like you know this is what we have paintings of the you know the people of spirit channeled of atlantis and i think that's just and so that becomes the legend of it now and it's it and what he did was incorporate all the stuff that he'd read from you know tangled bits from the last few thousand years and then this will go on if we get wiped out. This will go on and get reinterpreted again. You know, yeah. But you it'll, know, it'll, I, it'll probably be Atlant- some idea of Atlantis or you know some lost civilization. You know, yeah. My my view of Edgar Casey was always that he's sort of the equivalent of Joseph Campbell. You know, he he gets a lot of respect when honestly, dude was completely full of shit and didn't really know what he was talking about in most I, cases. But <clears throat> what? I'll give Joseph Campbell more props than Edgar Casey, but Ed, Ed, Edgar Casey was like, yeah, I, I, I go. Well, it's maybe just because I go further. I think he was a swindler, myself. Mm. I think he was a, you know, it was he was a faith healer, swindler type dude that that sucked in the and still. Yeah, actually, there's a guy now. I can't remember his name. He's an idiot, but you see him a lot and conspiracy theory stuff in places uh, where people are talking about interesting things and then he shows up and he claims to be the re- he's the current accepted reincarnation of Edgar Casey because he looks like him in a picture oh lord so there's another so there's Edgar Casey's walking around right now doing the same sort of stuff or another Edgar Casey has decided that he can make a buck off it mm. well since we're slightly more in the modern day now do you guys uh well, actually, do you have anything else that you want to put in about ancient aliens or anything like that? Or 
One. No, but we could fit them in. <laughs> oh, I could, I could talk that subject all, all day long. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, the, uh, the, the story that I brought to the table for all of this was uh, the South American stud to the stars. This is page 58. <laughs> and for those of you who haven't read it, this, basically this is the story of Antonio Boas. Uh, he claimed to have been abducted by aliens from his farm in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And then forced to have sex with an alien female. Now, here again, we've got a story with so many just fucking weird elements to it that on the one hand, you don't want to believe a single word of it. But on the other hand... Why would he make this up? <laughs> well, I can think of a lot of reasons to make something like this up. But, you know, it's just like the, the guy stuck to his testimony over the years, never changed a word of what he said. He never sought any kind of real fame or profit from his story. And the other thing is he came back with real physical ailments from what he claimed was this ordeal. You know, things like uh, scars on his chin and he had sores all over his body. He was treated for mild radiation sickness. I mean, who the hell knows what to think on, uh, you know, about yeah, how that. often do people get treated for mild radiation sickness? I don't think very often, especially not in South America. You would think. Well, but on the other hand, what that leaves you with is, a, is basically it's theoretically possible to bang some intergalactic hooker. And I don't know, dude. I mean, I, I mean, it adds a, it, it makes it adds a twist. To I want to believe what getting but, laid or meeting an alien life form that, that you're going to get. Yeah, that you're going to get laid by an alien life form. It's but that that would tend to be more. I would. Well, I, I will that say that you know that if you if you're in the bar, uh, you know, talk with some guys, you've got the best story there, no question right. about it. But right, but it seems like okay, he did get laid by a hot alien babe, but <laughs> he got mild radiation sickness and sores. It, maybe this could be some incredible rationalization he's making for a venereal disease. Except they would have been like, well, he suffered from gonorrhea, and that would have been the end of the story. <laughs> But know. this his story though. There's lots of there's other there's no story ex <laughs> like his, but there's elements of his story pop up in in lots of other abduction cases mm -hmm. all over the world. So there, I mean, there's elements in common with other abduction stories, which is what makes the whole abduction thing so, you know, frustrating and compelling at the same time. That it's 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 undeniably a phenomena, of some sort, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, it's and, funny uh, you use that word because uh, I, I just I'm had to look, uh, I just had to look this up real quick to see. I was trying to remember what the name of it was, and there was a series that Time Life Books put out. This was back in the late '80s. It was called Mysteries of the Unknown. And you guys might have seen this before. They were they were black. I think I have a few of books that each one covered a different subject of, you know, of the unknown. And there was one that was specifically in, uh, entitled The UFO Phenomenon. And that's the first time I ever heard this story. And I distinctly remember this because uh, the female that, uh, you know, that he gets it on with was shown as an artist's rendering, but it was a, it was a full nude you know, with pu uh, pubic hair and everything. And I can remember as, you know, as a young man, I was like, ooh, I like this chapter of the book. So that story always stuck with me. 
And, you know, it, it's described the same way he describes her here. stuck with your sheets, too. <laughs> Filthy bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought it was interesting. When I got to this chapter of the book, I was like, hey, I remember this story. So I just thought that, that was really cool. I like well, how they make the alien woman just yeah, on just the edge of being too freaky. <laughs> yeah. Well, the uh, I guess my, my whole issue with abductions, and you know what? Look, I'm going to be the first to say, number one, obviously something's going on. Number two, I have no fucking idea what it is. Let's just put that out there right now. <laughs> but, you know, that having been said, you know, one of the things about a, all of these abduction stories that just has never made sense to me is that we obviously – you know, if a if abduction is going on, and if you buy buy into the idea that it's alien abduction, which is to say, you know, people from other planets coming here, you know, there's that would be a very hard thing to do without the United States government knowing about it. So, explicitly or implicitly, they would have to have they they, they would need to be quote unquote involved with it at least to the degree that they know what's going on. That's why they always. That's why they always pick these guys instead of like you know um, some Hollywood celebrity. Well, I, and, yeah, well, they're, that's they're, not necessarily true, dude. Uh, was it Reagan? I think it was Reagan abducted? that believed that he was abducted. Yes. No, I, I think Carter I saw a UFO. Carter who saw a UFO. Carter yeah. saw a UFO and got attacked by a rabbit when he was in a boat. So he was a magnet for weirdness. Because there was a celebrity, I'm trying to remember. Lennon saw was, UFO. I think it was Reagan, where he, he came to a party, um, I believe it was with his wife. Now, whether that was Nancy or the, the prior wife, I'm Jane, not sure. Uh, Jane Wyman. He Wyman, came to yes. a party, and they were, they were visibly, you know, this was told by other people. And they were visibly shaken, because somewhere on their drive to this party... They, they had encountered a few UFO hours. and then they lost time. Yeah, it was one of the classic, you know, abduction type scenarios. And a lot of people have it attributed this to uh, his, you know, a fascination with UFOs because while he was president, you know, he very famously oh. gave that speech about, you know, it's, it, you know, I think it was at the UN where he said, you know, it seems to me that, uh, you know, if suddenly we were faced with uh, an attack from outside of this world, how, how soon we would drop all of our petty bullshit yep, and come together yep. as a species to fight them. I remember That's when he said that. That's thing as a president to, sit, to come forward and say, and a lot of people I remember have you that. the fact that he's, he was lifelong interested in UFOs. Now, here's I remember that being one of the first yeah. only things that you and I ever probably would have paid attention to in politics. <laughs> at that age was when he right. said that we were like whoa yeah, maybe this is going to be an yeah. invasion or yeah, maybe we, he we, just read Watchmen I don't know <laughs> well but, but you know but here's an interesting thing idea about... though is that you know now I don't know if I don't know if he and Nixon knew each other if they were friends probably not but he and Disney were friends and Disney's wrapped up in this whole thing quite a bit too uh, in the aspect of you know the whole, you know, hidden agenda and the whole, you know, what do these well, people know and film. everything. Yeah, there's the film, film. There's his friendship with Nixon. Nixon, uh, in my mind anyway, he's one of the last presidents, you know, sitting presidents that was in on the whole thing. Because after him, well, one of these big there's books not anybody that that's really in the loop anymore. 
Gerald Ford would have been in the loop. Well, he wasn't okay. really president for all that long, though, was he? Right. What one of these big books that we read? Remember, it had the story of how uh, of Jackie Gleason. Exactly. That's being yeah, shown. Exactly. Shown. Yeah. It, it might have been the big book of conspiracies. Probably. And Gleason was good friends with Nixon. And, right. Uh, Nixon I think it was Nixon took, who had brought him. Yeah, Nixon took Gleason to um, write Pat and showed him the stuff that we had there. And, you know, the more I hear that story and the people that have told that story over time, the more I tend to kind of believe that there's something to it. Now, well, it makes me it, well, I mean, definitely a lot of people have said that Jackie Gleason had told that story. And then it makes you think, why would he tell that story unless it was true? But then it makes you think his wife. Why, told the story why would too. they show? Oh, right, right. But I mean, he probably he was he talked about it. Well, one but, of the things that's been downplayed a lot uh, over time is the fact that late in his life, uh, Gleason went a little overboard with the whole UFO thing. He was obsessed. A little awkward, like. And if I remember properly, I don't know, I'd have to look this up to, to verify my facts, but I think, didn't he build like a, a house that resembled a UFO or part Somebody of his house did. or something uh, like big. that? Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I won't I go think, on the I think it was him. So, well, like there, I said, I think that there's something to it. But, well, but it the, makes the, the me question think... question I've had, though, as, as you know, like I said, I mean, the, all of this kind of presupposes that, you know, the government knows something about it. So the question I've always kind of had is, why? Why would they keep something like that a secret? And I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, because I there's can a think number of a few reasons. reasons, but I mean, like, well, like, Scott, what do you think? I mean, why would there's, they keep There's that? a number of reasons. The The number one reason is that... Um, while I'm, I'm not prepared to sign off on everything he says, I think that, uh, that Lear, uh, in his, there, there was a, a famous, uh, it's almost kind of a rant that he went on, on the Art Bell show. This is going back quite a long time I ago. I may have heard that. And there was a great conversation between, um, what's the guy's name? Is it John Lear? It's John Lear. Yeah. Yeah. John Lear and, uh, and Art Bell and Art raises the same question what are they hiding why would they hide this why why don't they just come you know straight out and tell us what the hell's going on and lear says okay you really want to know here's what's going on and here's why they don't tell us and he lays out the entire story and the part of that story that i've always seized on now it's a great story it talks about how um essentially uh you know, the extraterrestrials, they came here, they landed, and they talked to a president. I'm trying to remember who the hell it was. It was Eisenhower, I believe. I think it was Eisenhower. And essentially, they offered technology. And in exchange for the technology that they offered, they wanted to be able to borrow some people and do whatever the hell they wanted with them. And our government signed off on this. And, and then after it turned out that the technology that they were feeding to us really wasn't all that great, and we tried to scale back the project, it came to light that they weren't keeping up their half of the deal, that they were actually abducting a hell of a lot more people than they ever said that they were. And God only knows what they were doing with these people. And the, the whole abduction thing was a lot more than what we've been told. I mean, yeah, there's been this, you know, the typical... You know, stories like this, you know, this poor schmuck in South America, you know, that gets abducted and raped, essentially. But some of these have been horrible. You know, I mean, you've heard of, like, cattle mutilations. There have been human mutilations, a lot of them. And that shit's been kept on the down low from us, too. But essentially, the the thing that come out of that story from Lear is that 
our government does know what's going on and they allowed it to happen and they continue to allow it to happen because of what we got out of the deal. And essentially somewhere down the line, they realize we can't back out of this. We are so hopelessly, helplessly outmatched by these things that all we can kind of do is go along for the ride. And they that wouldn't part want of it to get I out tend- because they kind of bungled it. <laughs> right. Basically. And, and essentially we're so wrapped up now as a planet in the technology that's fed to us that even if they did no- nothing more sinister than taking the technology back, <laughs> what would that do to us as a society? But there, there's all of that aspect to it, too. But also, I think that there's a much larger aspect to it. And I think a lot of that larger aspect goes back to the ancient part of it, mm-hmm. is that these things have been around as long as we've been around. There is every possibility that we either are them or that they created us. And I think that our governments continue to look at the... Shit, what was the name of that report? Something like it's something like the Robinson report or something like I can't remember the exact name of it, but there's like a report Robinson. that was that was commissioned essentially to say if all this shit were true and there really were extraterrestrials, what would be the cultural impact on society? And granted this was done, this study was done sometime in the 50s, I believe, but essentially what was what the rendering of the report was is that it would be devastating. It would absolutely devastate culture, and and it w- it would just have this massive negative impact on everything from religion to society. That 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 things would just crumble. People wouldn't be able to handle this. And granted, this you know this report's now you know over fifty years old. But that's still the model that they're running off, that we as a people can't handle whatever really is going on. And so that's why this has continued to happen. Again, I don't I can see that, but I don't know if I entirely subscribe to that. My personal feeling on the entire thing, and I really don't have anything to base this on other than if it really is happening, I think there's got to be something just even that much more sinister, is that I wonder if they know full well, you know, my, the thing I always throw out there is if you knew the world had an expiration date, would you share it with other people? And I think most intelligent people would be like, hell no, I wouldn't share it with people because what would happen? Most you know? people wouldn't want to know. If there's, exactly. If there's nothing you can do about it, do you want to know the date you're going to die? If there's not a goddamn thing you can do to change it, do you want to know? And I think most people would go, no, I really don't want to know. If nothing else, I'd like to take the day off from work. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. That's and a so really I good think point. That's what's going on is that I think they may know full friggin' well that this is just a giant petri dish that eventually somebody's going to come back to wash it out. And actually, you know what? This only just now occurred to me, but you know, we actually have a very famous, very high profile, very respected example it's a very small scale because it's only one person we do have an example of this you know as you were going through all of this i just remembered this story right and now i'm blanking on the guy's name he's that fat tub of lard that uh, he's he's an actor big time stoner he was in the uh, green hornet movie oh seth oh kevin rogan yeah yeah that's the one seth rogan yeah that's right Seth rogan okay (laughs) and um Different fat piece of shit. Different fat asshole, yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, and different stoner, but yeah, same. Well, they did. A, you know, so same <laughs> right. difference, right? But basically, uh, Seth Rogen told this story about hey, about sitting in on a meeting of, you know, with of all people, George Lucas. Mm-hmm. And come to find out, George Lucas, I, oh, probably yeah. not so much now, but at least at the no. time, he was a Mayan calendar, December 2012, true believer. Big time. And you know where he was? You know where he was that day? I... You know. I do know. Scott knows. Yep. Let's hear it. Lay it on me. He was staying at the Grand Floridian at Walt Disney World well, the joke, on, on Doomsday. Well, you know, the joke that that was getting passed around. It's good that you said that, by the way, because the joke that was getting passed around was that, you know, he and Steven Spielberg were going to spend that whole day and that whole night uh, hanging around, you know, his garage and just waiting for the end to come. Right. Right. And, you know, just drinking beers and, you know, just waiting to die, basically. And so, you know, now the minute you hear that, I don't know. I mean, it's like it's George Lucas. He's, you know, whatever else I could say about the guy, he always seems like he's just a very grounded person to me. And he's not really prone to just kooky challenge type of behavior. George Lucas? Are you talking about George Lucas? It's California, man. I'm sure George Lucas is into all kinds of new age dipshittedness. Oh, George Lucas came up with all the plots for the Indiana Jones movies, dude. He's seriously into this shit. Well, I mean, like, seriously into it. Well, right, but The whole crystal skull thing, the whole, you know, yeah, all of that. My, it's just my reading of the guy. It's like I know him. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, based on <laughs> interviews and, you know, stuff like that. My impression of the guy is that, you know, he's just... he. I mean, like, this is the same guy that always kind of held Star Wars fan base sort of at arm's length. Right, right. You know, I mean, I, I'm not saying this to disrespect the guy, but, you know, let's be honest. You know, he never really embraced the idea of being George Lucas the celebrity, right. you know? And he always just kind of gave me the impression that, you know... He just seemed like he was a fairly normal type of guy. And then you hear a story about, yeah, he was one of the Mayan calendar true believers. And what did he do just prior to this whole Mayan calendar bullshit going down? He dumped Star Wars, dumped Lucasfilm. And isn't that about... I mean, you know, what did it take to pry lo- to pry that stuff out of his out the of end his... of the world, <laughs> potentially? Yeah, and 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 I thought about it. If I th- now, never for for the moment, just forget about whether or not it's true. If I truly believed that the world was going to end tomorrow, what might I do tonight? Right. Well, I'm probably right. going to get extra cheese on my on my hamburger. I'm thinking, you know. Right. And. And I could see that, you know, somebody like him, he just might decide, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to live it up and sell basically everything he has that's worth any kind of money, live it up for the next two months or however, however long he's got. And then, hey, world's still here. And it just, it kind of made, you know, it's just, it's one of those things, again, it's just fucked up enough to be true. Right. No, I agree with Maybe you. Maybe the Mayans were just predicting the sale of... Star Wars to Disney. <laughs> yeah, well, that was the end of the world for a lot of fans, wasn't it? Yeah, right, well, exactly. You know, I, but, you know, that was that was the first time I ever put any thought or, or even entertained the idea of, hey, maybe there's something to this, to the whole Mayan calendar thing, is when he did sell Lucasfilm. Because I knew that about him in advance. I knew that he was 
you know, a big time believer right. and, 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 you know, all that. I'd heard and that. the timing of it. And it's just like, hey. Yeah. And it was one of those things to give you pause. Like, oh, shit. You know, if, well, if he really does believe it this much that he's willing to do that, you know, should I be stocking listen, green beans or something? You know, I mean, from, it, listen, it's California, man. Cal, it's something in the water in California. Nah, it's I'm the not land talking of, about all that. I'm not. I'm just talking about the fact that it, it, it was enough to. It he was, was acting to kind on of it. Give me, yeah, exactly. It was enough to kind of give me pause about the whole thing. It really was. It, it, but you I know, here, to... here's an idea. You know, here's a happy thought. Is one of the reasons that our society is kind of just. Uh, you know, in a, in a rapid state of decay and moral decline, is that the people in the know, frankly, just don't give a shit anymore, and they're just right. kind of letting it go the way it's going because they know where it's all headed. That you know, isn't they're that a cheery they're collecting thought? as much money as they can so they can build a tunnel into the ground. And well, I mean, there are those rumors. You know, that's another one that I again, I don't know if it's Cheney's building here. an underground complex under his right. house. And that's been, been a, blasting a it out for years. That's been a big conspiracy theory for a while is what the hell is all this secret construction that's going on all over the United States well, all these one of my things that are being built in my in and like about 10 years ago I was like I'm gonna start getting worried when all the rich people start buying remote land and stuff like that and actually <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of happening dude. years ago yeah that was about five years ago and uh, yeah <clears throat> Or my my conspiracy theory is the rich people are trying to get super mega rich now because now they've invented robot bodies, but they're insanely expensive. Whoever invented them is like seventy five billion dollars for your robot body and immortality. Five hundred quat lose for the robot body. <laughs> my, I, I, my, my pet alien. <laughs> You know, hey, you want to you want to try that again, Chris? What? Dip boat. Uh, yeah, huh? Huh? That was that was me communicating with the aliens before <laughs> I prefacing my statement. I like this the is going to be idea. the most bizarre podcast anybody's ever that's, listened that's to. How, that welcome to the big book up, big book report, man. <laughs> um, I, I like the idea that the aliens are us, and that they've they've evolved to a point. And this, I think Whitley Stryber was the first person that I heard this from in his semi, you can't tell if they're fictional or non-fictional abduction books, but that they're possibly from the future and they're us that have evolved to a point where our genetics are kind of bad and they, and they might need some human genetics to, to, uh, um, coaxing, coaxings along. A lot of people have the same theory that the greys, you know how people talk about how the greys are kind of weird and puppet-like? That the greys might just be sort of like these living time machines that the aliens can use to travel here to collect information or DNA or eggs or we, who knows what they need, you know? And they're just projecting their consciousness back through time. They're, they're through, yeah, through. A, they can't do it. They can do it physically through. The, this is one of the theories: is through the UFO, UF. Yeah, that basically a gray is almost like a, a virtual reality suit or an avatar type of thing. Hmm. You know, for the for the aliens, and that 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 they're base that the grays are basically us. You know, when you get into it, there's people who are like, you know, there's 15 kinds of aliens that the government are dealing with right now. There's the Nordic, you know, 
the tall Nordic ones, there's the greys, there's the reptilians, and, and you know, they'll go on forever. But, you know, I try to keep it limited to the greys just for the sake of I only have so much time in my life. But I like that. I, I like that theory. That theory sounds as plausible as any other one. We should have gotten, um, what's his name on here um, that we interviewed? Bob. Uh, Pat Broderick. Pat Broderick, yeah. Pat Broderick would have been all over this show. I, I just I don't know, it, man. It was uh, hard enough getting the two of you on. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bringing another asshole into this. this. I don't know. It's really quiet, too. You know, it's also a, kind of a pain. But, um, yeah, it's funny because this all sort of leads in, into mine, which was the, the various explanations for alien abductions. And... Uh, I I only picked that not because it was especially fascinating of a topic for me, but I just thought that the way they handled it was kind of strange because they really they 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 play down the alternatives heavily. They they sort of dismiss a lot of them out of out of hand. It's it's just like Scott said with the astronaut one. They haven't done their total homework on this one or if they have they decided that that it would ruin to it would ruin their ruining of too many of the theories because i think the theory of um i can't remember what the i'm trying to see on my little tiny screen what the the actual medical um term for it is it's but but it's where you basically have a sort of seizure halfway between being awake and asleep so you're sort of awake, but you are paralyzed, but yeah, you're sort of still paralysis, dreaming. right? Yeah. Yeah. Sleep paralysis. I think that's a plausible explanation. Into, I mean, I think that there is a possibility that that it could be some sort of neurological condition that manifests itself by firing stuff that make people see variations of a sort of scenario. And and that would explain why, like in the and and the scenario is colored by whatever they know from society. That's why fairies would abduct people in the past. It could be some sort of the human brain misfires in all sorts of insane, bizarre ways. So I I think that's a more, I think they just sort of. But then why I, would I so many really of them buy be it. the it's, same the same thing? You know what I mean? It doesn't it like like when I think of that as possibly like I can't discount it as that. That 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 explanation seems stretching it a little bit to me, but I think they discount it just poof, out of hand out of this season. Oh well not that's not possible. Well, I think it's possible. But it's just I, I mean, it's funny. One of the first books I ever got obsessed with was um, Incident at Exeter, which was about Barney and Betty Hill. Right. And that was one of my first, you know, getting into UFOs. That and it was like the Cosmic Connection. It was one of those Sun Classic Pictures. And right. I browbeat my dad into bringing me to that. And, uh, you know, it was all about ancient astronauts and... Yeah, all all this subject, but in Sun Classic Pictures lurid style, and uh, then I remember going to the Carthage Library and finding an incident at Exeter. And you know, when you're like eight, ten years old, 
you don't read is critically. I was just like, whoa, you know, when they when they said they hypnotize these people and that this is what they said, I was just like, you know, well, they hypnotized them. That's what happened to them, you know, and it blew. I, I mean, I read that book about 40 times, you know, in the next year, just like couldn't it brought it that was the first time that that stuff felt like it really could be really real to me you know and uh so i've always i've always been fascinated with the abduction i've got my have i told my possible abduction story (laughs) i've seen ufos and had like not an I don't have an abduction story, but I have an element that happened in my life that's similar to abduction stories. All right. Did I ever tell you about this, Scott, when we were kids? Because this would have been around when we were first hanging out when I lived in the solar house. Mm, I don't think so. It was kind of weird things were going on in the solar house. Not weird like paranormal, but weird, weird. Like my sister was started sleepwalking. And would like get up in the middle of the night and like wrap herself up in the rug, in a rug by her bed, and then like go down and like lay down on the floor in the living room or just like walk around the house. And uh, one night I woke up and I thought my sister was somebody was standing on the end of my bed, but then as I turned on the light, nobody was there, and I thought it was my sister sleepwalking. And then one night there was a red, like a laser, you know, like a laser pointer light, but it was on. And do you remember my room in the solar house? It was sort of like you'd go in one door and there was a window on the on the wall to the outside. And that was the only window to the outside in my room. And on the wall was just this little laser pointer type light. And it was beeping. And the beeping sound seemed to be coming from the light. And I remember going over and putting my hand over it and could see it like glowing underneath my hand. That's all I really remember about any of it. <laughs> wow. Weird. Just a weird little, you know, right out of a... It would have been perfectly at home in a Spielberg movie, but Spielberg movies were just sort of starting up then. So there hadn't been... I don't know if I'd seen Close Encounters even by that point. I probably had. But I've seen a couple UFOs too. So, I mean, I am not going to be one of the people to just like go like, well, whatever, it's interesting, but it's bullshit because, yeah, I've seen several of them. And I lived near a army base where I saw planes all the time. I mean, planes and helicopters and jets were a daily part of scouts in my life. Right. So, So I was always confident if I saw a UFO, it would be pretty obvious that it, you know, well, that's not necessarily true, though. The one that's time true. in my life I ever saw a UFO, I was freaking out, man. I was bouncing up and down. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I've waited for this all my life. I wasn't scared. I, I was just excited. I'm like, oh, my God, this is a UFO. And it was a large, um, like, baseball diamond-shaped you know, object and it had lights on each corner and the lights uh, would shift colors. And it was just it was so cool. It just looked like this giant flying diamond. And I followed it for miles and it just happened to be going exactly where I was going, you know, the same direction, and everything. So I was I was able to pace it and I was able to keep up with it and I'm following it and I'm so excited. 
And long story short, it ends up being it landed uh, one of at the, the bombers airport. that I walked around every single day while I was stationed in the Air Force. It was headed back to my base. It was one of the bombers. And it was like, that's <laughs> when it really hit me that you can be an, a trained observer and still make a horribly stupid Yeah, you were mistake. following it down the road. Exactly. Well, I remember, I remember being a little kid, and I know that feeling you're talking about. We were driving into... Um, Oh, what was it? It was a PNC. We were driving yeah. into the PNC and they had those big, you know, parking lot lights. But just the angle we were co- we were coming from Carthage, you know, into the PNC in West Carthage. So we were driving through sort of like a little street with like trees and just above the tree line I see, a, you know, a round physical white globe rising up into the air. And I'm just like that's you know the uh, instantly i was like that's a ufo and as we drove closer it was one of the lamps and the way we were traveling made it look like it you know from the perspective we were at made it look like it was raising up above the tree but i mean i watched hey I've, I, I've got a ufo story it's a little boring you guys want to hear it yeah sure and when i say ufo i mean this literally i have no idea yeah what the you fuck don't know I what saw. it is okay all right just so i'm not talking about flying saucers just so we're clear so I was like, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, it looks like, I guess it was about uh, 10 years ago. I was hanging around. Uh, we were watching this, uh, supposed to, I think it was supposed to be a lunar eclipse or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could say that I was there because, you know, I'm an astronomy nut. No, it's just, you know, we found this old, or old, this brand new subdivision that was being built. So there's nobody around. Ne- you know, she and I, we both lived with our parents. And so I was just basically hoping we, I'd get laid. Yeah. Basically, is what it came down to. That was really the only reason I wanted to go. Prime motivator of humanity. Yeah. So. And so you know, it was actually it is uh, you know it's an eclipse. It's, it's about as boring to watch as you might have as you might expect, right? All of a sudden, though, on the other side of the sky, looked over. Now I'm not sure if any have either of you ever uh, you know ever been to Houston before. No. No. I've never no. been to Texas. No. All right. Well, it's just. Around, especially in this part part of the woods, literally, it is nothing but trees. Fucking everywhere you go, it's just, fuck, it's trees. trees, 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 trees. You can't see the fucking sky, right? So, I have no idea what the hell happened next, right? All I know is that I happened to look up, and there was this ball of light that was just hanging in the sky. And it could have been an airplane, or it could have been, you know, just at a glance, it could have been an airplane or a helicopter. Who the hell knows what, right? It was just a big fucking ball of light in the sky, and it and it just kind of felt like it was completely uh, immobile, you know. Which is even helicopters when they're hovering, they kind of they still sort they of kind of have a little wobble to them, yeah. Yeah, and this was as far, best I could tell. This seemed to be perfectly still. Helicopters are really loud too. Right. Well, and and then I started thinking, well, it would look perfectly still if it's coming right fucking at you. But right. Anyway. Um, I didn't think about it at the time, but I was thinking, oh, good. It's a good thing that wasn't coming. Well, anyway, so big fucking balls, you know, light, the sphere of light that was in the sky. Best I could tell, totally uh, stationary. And then just out of nowhere, boom, just there's this incredibly loud, just fucking explosion in the, in the sky. I can't even describe it. It was, it was like a, a shotgun blast times a thousand. And then this thing just zooms across the sky uh, and i say behind the trees that's not going behind trees i just can't see it anymore because the trees block out you know they block out the sky so you know 
next thing you know, you're looking, you know, you follow the light across that the sky. That sounds like the watermelon seed, man. The watermelon that seed? sounds like you saw the watermelon seed. That's, a, that's some Area 51 shit, man. Really? That was the next, one of the theoretical neck, the watermelon seed was this next generation, not stealth, but, you know, top secret plane. And it was saucer shaped, and it would basically it it could hover, but it flew by basically ejecting fuel out of little tiny holes all along the wings, the the whole surface of it, and igniting it. And the way that, however, it was running. It basically they called it the watermelon seed because it shot through the air like you would spit out a watermelon. They're like when you squeeze a watermelon seed, and they just sort of you know, and they have that slimy surface, and they just sort of fling forward. Hmm. And that maybe that was the it igniting its fuel and taking off. I mean, you're close enough to the neck of the woods of where they might be test. You know, I mean, the the range of those things are probably thousands of miles anyway. But who knows? It's that's not very that's not that boring of a UFO story. I have more boring UFO stories than that. Well, right, but it's just I wish I could tell you that I saw one. Hmm? I said I could beat that boring UFO story. By all means, well, I don't know. Do you? Do we really? Yeah, no. Go, go for it. Outbore me, please. No, I'll no, I'll tell. I, 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 if I'm gonna tell one, I'll tell the most interesting one because the most boring ones were like it was like. What is that? I don't know. It doesn't look like a plane. Does it look like a plane to you? No. No, it still doesn't look like a plane. But I was at a, a music concert in the Catskills that was outdoors. And it was not like a huge... It was maybe a thousand people. And it was after the concert and everybody was out in the parking lot getting ready to drive home. And I mean, we were in the middle of the Catskill Mountains. It was a picturesque, you know... Um, the, you know, they're not big, tall mountains. They're sort of like rounded, but they're still good sized mountains. And it was just very, very picturesque. And everybody's just sort of like well, checking it out and getting ready to drive home. And this round, very much like the street lamp I saw, but perfectly round ball of light with some, you know, you could sort of tell it had a surface to it floated overhead and was flying over and I was watching it with my friend Ken and I'm like, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And he's like, and slowly, like, you know, hundreds of people are going, look at that. What's and, uh, and it was a rock concert. So everybody's like, did you smoke pot? I, I, well, and we're like, we look at Ken's wife who's six months pregnant and hasn't been doing anything. She's like, no, no, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just, and we watched this thing just sort of silently go over our heads. No way of knowing how high it was at that point because there was nothing to get any perspective on. Mm-hmm. But then it went, it had to be about five to 10 miles away. We could still see it. And it floated to the top of this mountain where there was a, giant roiling thundercloud it was like a this was like out of close encounters it sat in the middle of the thundercloud while lightning struck around it and you know by this time there were like 200 people standing there watching it going 
ooh, ah, whoa, and stuff like that. And then it just sort of it was gone. It just sort of, you know, got smaller and smaller. It was gone. And the the funny thing about it is I, my friend Ken, I hadn't seen him in over a decade. And I saw him last year and, and we were talking about that. And I said, you remember when we wa- all watched that UFO float overhead? And he goes, oh, that was one of those Chinese lanterns. We just didn't know about Chinese lanterns at that time. And I go, but don't you remember how it sat in the middle of that thundercloud? We watched it for about 45 minutes. And I could see him go, yeah, yeah. But over the years, he had erased that part of his memory. Or maybe he hadn't erased it, but. He had he had picture he had totally like not remember when when I was reminded of it then he started filling in you know then he started relating it back but yeah that's that's the best one I have that's the most like obviously like unexplained what the hell just happened it could have been ball lightning who knows hmm ball lightning doesn't really look like that though my grandparents used to have ball lightning in their house that came out of a clock <laughs> and they wow. used to pop it with the broom. <sighs> well, uh, now where else can we go? <laughs> well, actually the, you know, I did have just one other minor note, but before I got into that, I wanted to find out how you guys are doing on time. Oh, I'm okay. I'm good. I could, yeah. I, I mean like I could go another half hour or so. No sweat. All like right, if I'm, if, if if I'm out at eleven at the latest, I'm fine. I don't have to go to eleven, but I'm good for I'm good for a while. Okay, cool. All right. Well, the you know the I guess the other note that I had in my file here, and uh, Chris, you and I kind of touched on this last time whenever we were going through the big book of conspiracies. Uh-huh. But I do think it's worth mentioning that you know it it the temptation the minute you hear people and maybe I should have led with this I don't know but the temptation that a lot of people have when you hear people start talking about UFOs is that it's all kook stuff, it's all fake, and, you know, we can prove it. You know, you have Photoshop these days, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There are too many instances of things that can't be easily faked, or for that matter, easily explained. Yep. That, whether it's because there are just too many, just way too many eyewitnesses being, you know, they these craft, whatever they are, they, they, they show up and are plotted on multiple radars, not all of which, by the way, are American radar. Right, uh, right. You know, on and on. But my personal favorite now, because I didn't really, I didn't really think we'd go in this direction, so I didn't want to. So I didn't. I ended up just skipping over this part of my uh, research for the show. But it it was. Uh, I want to say spring or maybe summer of 1997. A a UFO, which is to say, an unidentified flying object of some kind flew over the entire state of Arizona, and this was reported by the Associated Press. It was reported on by Newsweek. US, I mean, we're talking about, um, you know, news They were media. talking about it live on Art Bell. People were calling in on Art Bell. I, I remember I used to live, listen to Art Bell religiously around that time period, and that was one of the most amazing show. one of the, like, standout shows is – People are calling out and they're like, Art, we're watching it right now. He's like, are you videotaping it? Oh, yes, we are. And, you know, and he's like, if anybody else is out there seeing this and like, he's like, my phone lines are flooded, you know, and they were like, 
they were tracking it on the Art Bell show <laughs> while it was happening. It was there's just no doubt that something went on there. Well, yeah, and and you know, like not not to denigrate that, but I mean, I'm just saying that most people when they hear Art Bell and all that stuff, yeah, they kind of want to dismiss that. Whereas USA Today, right, Newsweek, these things are a little we we implicitly kind of trust those as sources, and they're reporting the exact same thing as Art Bell. Imagine so, if iPhones were big in those in the in in that time. How many? There would have been like ten times as much it, it, as it was. There were enough people who had video cameras. While it, it happened over such a long period of time that it was it's like twelve hours know, or something. You can write off Art Bell, but Art Bell was just a symptom of what was going on, and and it was so widespread that you couldn't keep it out of USA Today. Because how can you? I mean, people. You, you could almost when that when it was happening, you could almost be in one part of Arizona and be like, oh, they're coming our way and get your camera out and then film it fly, you know, and and, and the whole and the explanation was brrrump, flares, flares. Yeah. We dropped flares. It was a series of flares. Well, Scott, Scott's and I have seen plenty of flares. Oh, yeah. And, and they don't, they don't move fly in, over like, the landscape at all. They're a red light. With a trail of smoke behind it, and they drop fairly they rapidly drop. too. Yeah, they do they, not they, they hold fall. position. They fall, at and the, you and it, you can't. There is it is absolutely impossible to drop flares in any pattern and have them all descend exactly at the same rate, or you know, in this in case, a, in hold position in in any discernible shape for any amount of time the, the whole explanation of flares is, is insultingly stupid. Yes. stupid insulting to like huge swath of the population so it's just like but at, at the same time it's as you see there's there are there are people fiendishly pursuing what happened with the phoenix lights but they're all on the fringe you know and you would think that that would be like one of the first <laughs> priorities is to figure out what the hell that was flying over our it makes me think that it had to be almost it either had to be a UFO like you know like a UFO craft or whether it was from a aliens or another government or it was a government craft because otherwise somebody would be trying to figure it out like crazy and it would be it would be a big deal but if it was a top secret military craft that like for some reason had to fly out of its flight path and had a little snafu and got seen then i could see them going like oh flares but i mean it's just well see that's why you know you th said then earlier there's people who say it was a test of like holographic imagery just to see if they could make people believe that they saw a ufo and then did the flare thing just to give you know get people's imaginations going or whatever you know but i mean you can come up with any explanation for what it was that does it did it but because it's unknown but it happened i mean there's nobody i haven't heard a single person try to say oh it didn't happen that was just you know well, no a hallucination, one can make or you know, it just—it's just a bit of folk legend, or because you can't, because there's too many people who saw it. But that works both ways. Of like, why aren't there more people? But then again, if you start looking into it, there's a lot of people. <laughs> well, yeah, so, that's the thing. Is that I, I, again, I think that the 
disinformation, the ridicule of the entire phenomenon has been extremely successful because, you know, you said earlier that, you know, it's going to take something like, you know, a, a landing on the White House lawn. I wonder just what would it take? Because I don't think that would work either. I think if we had people to sit down on the White House lawn tomorrow morning, you know, the thing is, you, you Somebody need to be going. How did the what? How did the CIA build such a nice Klaatu robot? Well, you know, I don't even think it would go that far. You'd you'd have to have coverage for one, and the networks are scared to death to cover this stuff because, for one, so many people have been threatened not to do this, not to well, touch on this. And if you do touch on it, you have to treat it as it's completely ridiculous. And if you don't, you know, you can you lose everything uh, from your your job to your life. And so well, these people are running scared. You know, the the people in the mainstream. You know, let me give you an example. There was a a news brief last year. This was in I forget when exactly last year. I want to say like December or something like that of last year with Paul Hellyer, who was uh, he was the longest serving member of something called the Privy Council in Canada, which I, I believe has something to do with their national security, if I'm not mistaken who came forward yes. with basically a full disclosure statement about what the hell is going on. And you never saw any of this in the mainstream news. Nobody ever touched on it. And whenever you do hear it, it's either in Facebook, you know, underground. Yeah, it, it, it's in the usual like uh, kook places or uh, nowadays it's, it's treated whether... as, you know, oh, you know, he he's, you know, he's got the Alzheimer's or something. He, you know, grandpa's yeah. going, you know, going off the deep end. And it's like, no, God damn it. How much more respectable can you get than a, mem a member of parliament coming forward with this shit? And what did We've he had say? governments. Oh, but he. Then people I mean, can say, "Wow, well, it a all out. But then again, the mayor of Toronto smokes crack. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, that, what that, wasn't it? France, I think, uh, recently uh, put all their all their cards on the table with all this too, and that doesn't get any play anywhere. Well, so I mean, there are know, people a, that have come forward with this whole thing, but the thing is, is that here, at least in this country, the the you know the thing that's in place to keep all this where it's at is working extraordinarily well. Even people. Like us, geeks that are into, you know, Star Trek and Star Wars and science fiction and, you know, look at all the crazy shit that Kirby wrote and all these fantastical, you know, concepts and can go to a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy and be completely entertained and love all this cosmic stuff. Then they hear somebody talk about UFOs and they're like, yeah, really, you know, come well, on, that's, that's just ridiculous. And, and here's the and thing I'm about shocked people... by that reaction, but at the same rate, I'm kind of not shocked because... The no. indoctrination is is everywhere and and ever well, present, and people have have just grown used to the fact of, eh, it's it's all hooey. There's nothing to it, and, and I'm telling you, just a, a half nobody, an hour's research into this can change your mind, well, at least to the aspect of of that. There's got to be something to it Something's because this is on. not something that's been going on. For a few years, this isn't even something that's been going on for a few decades since like the 40s or 50s. This is something that's been going on for literally thousands ongoing. of years, continually ongoing. Strange lights in the sky, visitations, things that you cannot just 
dismiss as everybody involved in this is crazy. Well, you're talking about these lights over Phoenix and stuff. Well, you know, there's an entire city's worth of of witnesses dismissed out of hand. Same thing has happened all over the world. There was all those sightings in Mexico City there, not too many, I think it was maybe... 1991. Yeah, okay, so it's a couple of decades ago now. But again, an entire city's worth of people that say, look, and, you know, this again was not just... In Mexico City, it was happening... All the time, it right? Was and like, this was, it was not, not just a bunch a, of uncommon occurrence. Right. This this wasn't like you know some guy out in a field. It wasn't just a bunch of you know drunk revelers or something. This was an entire goddamn city, many of which were armed with cameras and video cameras. Got a lot of pictures. Got a lot of video. And you hear nothing about it. And whenever you do hear about it, again, it's relegated to the realm of, eh, what a bunch well, of whenever, nonsense. You know, what, you know, whenever you hear about it, there were a lot of Mexican guys who were doing fake, bad, like bad early CG fake videos. Not back in 91, they weren't. I, I agree well, with they, you. Well, that they, I mean, they were, they, they, there were some guys, there were two guys that did doctored up videos, and right. that's what they talk about now. No, I, but I get what the, you're the getting at. The fact of the matter then, was, there's, no. there were literally like thousands and thousands and thousands of reports happening all the time, and but you know, I the thing about it is, you know, uh, I guess I I don't want to speak for all three of us, but we're all kind of a weird people in this in the spectrum of society, so when we talk about stuff like this in public. People are already like, oh, you know, we can absorb a little bit of this weirdness and not have it reflect badly on us. But somebody who's just sort of normal every day, they might be very interested in stuff like that or believe things about this. They're they're probably not going to talk about it with anybody unless like you know you could get in a drunken conversation with somebody They'll if you talk liquor them about up it, enough. But they they won't they won't um, reveal their their. If they ever see anything, they're not going to say anything because they don't want to be not. thought of yeah. as uh, as a weirdo. And we're already three quarters there. If not, if and that's me being kind. So we don't remember, have anything to lose by talking about. I can remember about. when I was in the service, you know, uh, you know, I worked security when I was in the service. So I spent a lot of time on the flight line and I can remember talking and getting into, you know, really long, interesting conversations with pilots and typically pilots, you know, especially like you, you, ta- you know, you're talking like your, your commercial aviators right. that you know work for say delta or whatever that just you know they're, they're the people that shuffle you know they're the pilots that shuffle people from here to there all over the country Super high-tech bus drivers they won't talk about that shit you know they won't talk about what they've seen because they know that their ass is on the line if they right. do but uh and the military guys a lot of them won't either but i can remember getting into some conversations with these guys and hearing some just hair-raising tales of shit that they've seen you know, in our skies. And <laughs> again, you know, it, it just lends into these are trained observers. They're not people that you would typically think to tell fanciful stories. And when you hear enough stories, especially ones that no, are very similar to tell fanciful from, stories in that, you know, it's very right, dangerous yeah. to do stuff like that. So they're not gonna And they're trained not to do, you know, they're. Yeah. So and I mean, if you want to go for pilots, Jeez, there's uh, just like Mexico, countless, 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 countless pilot stories of UFOs. Oh, yeah. Yep. And uh, yeah, I. 
You know, have you guys noticed, though, that the UFO stuff is sort of quieted down in the last 10 years or so? There was sort of a peak to it. I mean, remember in the 90s, but it hasn't iconography it, it was hasn't. everywhere. The coverage of them has. But the the phenomenon itself not the really phenomenon, hasn't. but I mean I mean people paying it for for some reason in the 90s. Like yeah, I mean when you went to the carnival, you would get giant those gimongous drinks in a, you know, horrible plastic cup and they would be shaped like a gray alien but they'd usually be green right and there'd be people with t-shirts with alien heads on them everywhere big thing you know and then x files went away oh the x files these things tend to go in waves you know because i i I was thinking about this the other day when i picked up that uh that bermuda triangle book is like you know whatever happened to this kind of stuff you know that's why we picked it up because it was the 70s there was a huge wave of those books. i just picked up this uh, the that that bermuda triangle book and the sequel to it at a garage sale just two weeks ago but you know when we were kids there was there was that glut of books in the 70s everything from you know bermuda triangle to you know chariots of the gods and all these other books that were all on that subject you know uh, and there was and one a, in the fifties too. Huge, you know, variety of those books, and everything kind of culminated with Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Comes, you know out. what? It's, it's going on 20, 20 year cycle since the fifties, fifties, seventies, nineties, and it should there should be another one in the twenty tens. Yeah, it, I'm thinking so should. too. I think the reason it goes in these cycles is that. Everybody gets really worked up about it. Everybody gets really excited about it. It feels like it's building to some sort of something. And then nothing and happens. And then nothing happens. And <laughs> yeah. then people kind of lose interest like in the it. And X-Files. It, and it, it kind of goes underground again for a while. And, and it's still there. It's still happening. But the mainstream, you know, the main, and this, yeah. well, you know, the mainstream nerds are not paying as much attention to it because they just kind of got they just got kind of bored with it. You know, they just kind of, they kind of burn out. They move on to something else. People and then want a story with a beginning, middle and end. Exactly. And so, you know, and also, you know, this, this idea, this unspoken thought between all of us that, you know, this might not wrap up in my lifetime. That's, that's a depressing thought that, you know, you, you might die never knowing. And I'm sure that plays into it in some aspect too. I mean, this, this whole thing's been going on for a hell of a long time and people have lived and died and, and never knew. And, you know, so I'm sure that plays into it as well. But if you, if you go to the places and you pay attention to the sources that do actively keep up with this stuff, it ain't dead. It continues every single day where we're still getting the sightings. We're still getting the abduction reports. All this other stuff is still happening constantly. And it's still to some of these people that track this stuff still feels like it's building to some sort of head. So God only knows where the whole thing is headed. If it's headed anywhere. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably a good place for us to drop off. Now, did, did it, you know, any any of you got any uh, leftovers, anything like that, anything oh, you want to do parting words? <laughs> <laughs> we, didn't there, even, we didn't I even get into the Crystal Skull chapter. Yeah, we didn't even great. get into cryptids at all, which uh, that's that's another one of my favorite subjects too. But we can we can do that one another time, maybe. 
That's what I'm thinking. Oh, God, the Mothman's in here. That's another one of the great... I could do a whole show just on the Mothman story. That's one of the ones I look at and just go, okay, no, I don't think... That's why I like it, because it's so unbelievably weird in so many different ways. It's just one of the most bizarre stories ever ever told, movie notwithstanding. The movie's not bad to try to sort of summarize it, but they have Richard Gere in it. Yeah. Yeah. Eh, pass. The movie the movie was the movie was not bad. It was very it had some very creepy I mean, the whole story is just creepy. It's not outright horror scary. But it had Richard Gere in it. Shouldn't it have been called the Gerbil Man? (laughs) It's called the the Wooden Man. (laughs) But, um... I I would like to do a follow-up sometime and talk about cryptids, man, because I I love that shit. And having, having you know, I've never seen the, you know, never never had any, any personal experience with the whole... UFO thing, but with the with the cryptid thing, having actually seen a cryptid and not even known it at the time, that becomes that much more fascinating to me now. So, uh, no, now a cryptid again is an unknown animal. Yeah. What animal that, did you see? I told you about this. I'm sure I talked about this on a on a Two True Freaks. Um, shortly before we moved out of Georgia, I was driving oh, back home right. in the middle of the day and I saw, a, a, a you know, what I assumed was just a large cat, like, you know, like a little bit smaller than like a great cat. And I thought it was some sort of, um, uh, what do you call it? Not a leopard. Um, what are the, pan- the uh, panther? Panther. Uh, panther. I thought it was a panther. And I'm thinking, damn, that's a big cat. And it's it's right side the road, and it had its head down like it was eating something out of the ditch. And it and it struck me for two reasons. Because for one, it was just friggin' huge. It was the size of like a, uh, you know, like a German Shepherd. It was huge for a cat, but it was just so pretty. You know, it had the sleek. It was a short-haired cat, sleek black fu- uh, fur, with gold flecks in it that were almost a stripy pattern. You know, almost like a, like a tabby. Uh, you know, stripe pattern, but it but it wasn't quite stripes. It yeah. was more like gold flecks through the through the uh, black fur, and just beautiful. But again, what really struck me was the size of the damn thing. I'm just like, God damn, that's a yeah. big cat. And that there's no there's no leopards in in Georgia. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I just you know I saw it and I thought it was really pretty. And I thought, you know, when I'm gonna, when I get home, I'm gonna look up and see what kind of cat that was because that was really pretty. I get home and I get on the internet, and the next thing I know. The only thing I can find on any of this, the only reference to any of it, they're all cryptid sites, all saying the same thing. These don't exist. And I'm thinking, God damn it, I just saw it, you know, and to this day, I've not found anything to make any, you know, to to be able to substantiate what I've seen. I think it's totally plausible that there was some, like, you know, rich meth dealer whose pet leopard got loose. <laughs> you never know. Made a million dollars and bought a, bought a few, you know, illegal pets. I mean, because that's the thing with this is I'm not looking for, I'm not looking to discover a new species. I mean, I'd right. be perfectly happy to know that, yeah, some dude let his, let his that pet would be panther out for enough. a walk, you know? Yeah, that would be amazing enough. Yeah. But that was the thing is that, you know, so that to me, 
made me realize that you know it's it's really easy to just dismiss somebody. Oh, you you think you saw it, but you really you didn't. Could well, go, no, you, I mean, having been now in that position of going, no, you're telling me this doesn't exist, and I'm telling you, I saw the goddamn thing with my own two yeah. eyes. Don't tell me it doesn't exist. And you so yeah, the, it, it gives you that much more of a connection with some of this crazy shit, you know. And you could go to the cryptid site and put your story in there, and it would go right up beside all the other stories. That you probably, if you would have read before you saw it, would have been like, yeah, whatever, dude. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's it, exactly. So, I mean, you know, but I've always, that's another one of those I've always been fascinated with. You know, again, uh, how much credence I give to any of it, for, you know, from, from Bigfoot to, to the Yeti to, you know, Loch Ness, whatever. But I'm, I still think it's fun as hell. I think A local I like I like that people, there are people in the world that do take some of that stuff seriously, or at least make a serious somebody effort should. to do something with it. I mean, even if they're crazy, some there should be somebody on it, no matter how bizarre it is. Right. Because there's been plenty of things that before they were discovered and figured out were the most bizarre thing in the world. Oh, hell yeah. You know, like electricity and stuff. Yeah. So it's always worth it to 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 explore it, at least to the point of where you figure out what's going on or nothing's going on. But yeah, I get I get really impatient with people that just want to dismiss it all out of hand. Oh, that's just silly. Well, you know, Loch Ness monster. You can think it's silly, but you know, there have been some very respectable people that took it at least seriously enough to look into it. You know, we had Jacques, Jacques Cousteau. Uh, Robert Ballard, you know, the discoverer of the Titanic and the Bismarck and all these famous shipwrecks has been to Loch Ness and searched for the Loch Ness monster. So, you know, Ballard's good enough for me. I, I think that's, you know, I think that le- lends a certain um, something to it, you know, that he, he at least took it seriously enough to go, hey, you know what, let's go take a look. Yeah, yeah, we might as well. We got the equipment, right? Yeah. Which is ultimately, for all of these subjects, for for any of this stuff that's in this book, that's ultimately all I'm looking for is, hey, you know, let, let's look into this. Let's not just go, okay, whatever. Because some of this stuff, y- you just can't, especially when there's something physical that you can hold in your hand that you, that you look at and just go, this shouldn't exist. Doesn't make sense. Explain it to me. And they just want to just, you know, catalog it, throw it on a shelf and, and pretend like it never happened. It's like, no. Wheel <laughs> it into the back of the warehouse. Yep, exactly. All indie style. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. It, no, normally what I would ask my guests in a case like this is where they can find you. But I think the answer is the same for both. So, uh, Scott, where can they find you on the Internet? I'll be gibbering in the corner. Do your thing, man. <laughs> All right. Well, either way, thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate you uh, <laughs> taking the time to uh, you know join me tonight. And uh, you know, I have to tell you, you know, I've, it it kind of feels good knowing that I'm not the only one who's at least I shouldn't say believing, but at least considering. So you know, if nothing else, thank you for that validation there. Fascinated by—that's the way I like to like to describe it. Fascinated by. I don't know if I'd subscribe to any of it, but I'm fascinated by well, it. Well, to me, usually when something gets completely explained away, I lose my fascination for it. Right. And so, if I have fascination for it, then I still think there's got to be some potential to it, or or I would. Re- 
really like there to be some potential for it because it would be really cool. Mm-hmm. Which is a good reason to be fascinated with something anyway. Fair enough. All right, well, uh, for the next big book uh, report, uh, what sounds good? What's your pleasure? Uh, we've oh, jeez, already... what we got left? Big book of butts. I like big book of butts. And I, yeah, no. <laughs> Let's see, we've got uh, the big, big book, book of porno. There we go. Well, close. We've got the big book of weirdos, the big, the big book of death, the big book of freaks, little criminals. <laughs> <laughs> Is Chris in it? Freak? Well, that's the thing. I, we'll I, I find think out. Before, you know, the whole mental freeism thing. I think, it's I think most of that was written, so I don't know. I think it's going to be mostly of the sideshow variety is what I'm I'm thinking. Ditto. Oh, so it'll be like our high school yearbook. So I was just going to say, so I might be in it. <laughs> I have, I didn't meet the um, um, lobster boy when I was young. A fa- famous freak killed, murdered his father, the lobster man. And he was delicious. <laughs> With little, little butter. butter. Okay, not even going anywhere near that one. So let's see. There's Big Book of Thugs. There's uh, Big Book of Martyrs. No, we're not doing Martyrs. Um, actually, that one's skippable. So let's see. The Big Book of Bad. Weird Wild West. Ooh, I'd like that one. Uh, Vice. Miami Vice? I'm sorry, do what? With Don Johnson? Yeah, sometime in the fall is what I heard. I've got to say, let's go dark and do death. You want to do the big book of death? Yeah. Yeah, maybe we can uh, hit that that goth chick market for the next episode. That, exactly. So, okay, all right. Well, then the uh, the choice is made. The traveler has come. All right, let's <laughs> All right, let me cancel like the end for next. So that is death. So that'll be all other things being equal Tuesday, October the 28th, 2014. So we're going to have to set aside. Okay, right around Halloween. There you go. Ooh. Yeah. See, I picked right. All right. Yeah, I, that would not have occurred to me until it was too late. And then I t- it would only have occurred to me because you read off the date because I don't know what your, your schedule is so far ahead of. D- dude, I just on behalf of Scott and I, I have to envy your... Um, stocked up in this of podcasts man oh, I would you. love to be in your position <laughs> well I actually started counting toes and what I realized is I could record absolutely nothing for the rest of this year and still just keep rolling <laughs> shit out yeah you're sitting on top of podcast mountain man you're you're sitting pretty yeah so well a lot of this stuff actually sort of writes itself so that's obviously take episodes like this one for example I didn't have to say all that much of anything so <laughs> Podcast Mountain for uh, for Scott and I is we're throwing rocks ahead of us and then we run over the rock and then we throw another rock ahead of us. <laughs> run yeah, over that one. Laying down the, the the tracks as the train is coming. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, next week it's uh, I'm, what I'm going to be talking about is Scott's favorite TV show in the history of anything ever. I'm going to finish <laughs> up my coverage of Smallville season one. And then after that, it's right back into my Superman mega series. So that's something to look forward to. So bye, everybody. I'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs> we are out. Click. That was awesome. That was an awesome show. Okay. So I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at 2 
www.twotrueworks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me. And I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2 True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsecor of Milan, Italy. Mm-hmm.